everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Changing the Course. I am Atara, attorney in New York City, founder of the Curly Girl Movement, author of the Curly Girly book series, and owner of curlygirly.com. And my podcast mission is to bring interesting, newsworthy, and current topics to the forefront with dynamic guests who help us to change the way we see things and open our world to new ideas. Today, I'm happy to be speaking about an important topic with an important guest. Rebecca Raby is a sociologist in the Department of Child and Youth Studies at Brock University, Canada. Rebecca's primary focus relates to the constructions of childhood and adolescence, as well as discrimination against young people, especially as age intersects with gender, sexuality, race, and class. Rebecca has done a lot of work on dress code in the school system and how these kinds of rules and practices impact girls. Rebecca, welcome to my show. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, so Rebecca, I'll tell you, I'm really happy to have you on today because I am the mom of three school-age children, two of whom are girls, one who is a young teenage girl, another who's much younger. And I have to say that the practice and the implementation of a dress code is something that I personally find very troubling, both from the perspective of a mother as well as from the perspective of simply being a female. So I'm really happy to have you here to discuss this from your well-researched and expert viewpoint. So let's jump right in. And and just tell me, how did this become an area of focus for you? Um, you know, it started, I was really interested in school rules more broadly. Um, you know, what kinds of rules do we have in schools? Um, that govern young people's behavior. And I did uh, a pretty deep analysis of those rules and I talked to um, young people in focus groups about how they engaged with those rules and what they thought of them and which ones they liked and which ones they didn't. And I talked to some teachers and then some administrators as well. And, um, you know, dress codes uh, were just one part of it, but it was certainly a prominent part that a lot of people had things to say about. And then ever since, it, it just keeps coming up. Um, it's a topic that um, also intersects with my interest in young people's activism, and there's been a lot of activism around dress codes. Um, so I found that really captivating as well. So when you say activism around dress codes, mm-hmm. what does that actually mean for lay people? Um, well. It's, so what I'm thinking of specifically is um, when um, young people, it, it's, it's mostly girls, but it's not only girls, um, are getting um, on social media, but also participating in protests at their schools. Um, usually it's in response to a specific incident where somebody has been dress coded in a way that's um, felt particularly unfair or shameful. Um, and then there's been, um, uh, a response, right? Um, right, on behalf of young people um, in relation to that incident. So, what's so interesting about what you're saying is, you know, when I grew up, there were rules. There were probably even more rules. Um, I went to a pretty strict all-girls school, mm-hmm. and it was actually quite traumatizing to be dress coded in any form. Like, I actually remember being getting in trouble for small things like wearing eyeliner, um, which which seems so ridiculous in retrospect and and where I am now. But I remember being, you know, publicly shamed for things like this. And there was a culture of fear around the administration because you knew that at any time you could be in trouble for wearing something that they deemed inappropriate. And 
I'm really happy to hear that girls are now using social media and taking to social media to quote, you know, fight back on this issue because, you know, what we didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think that there have been, I know that there have been, um, there's been activism and protests by young people around school rules for quite a long time, actually. But um, the, the magnitude and the scope and the capacity to organize and, um, and to get the word out has certainly changed a lot with the advent of social media. Yeah. And I also know just from doing a little bit of research myself, because I think this became such a, a topic of interest for me, as I said, because I do have two daughters, one of whom is, is, a, is a teenager, as I said, and she really has been experiencing dress code um, implementation in a very negative way in her school, in her school that's otherwise what I consider a wonderful school. And so I think that Somehow, when I look at what's going on, I think the problem um, begins with the fact that we need to teach teachers and administrators how to really implement these practices, if at all, like maybe they shouldn't be implementing it, but to implement if they are going to in a way that doesn't feel shameful and that doesn't degrade girls and that doesn't make them fear these women who are doing this to them. Wouldn't you agree? Um, sure. Well, it's not only women who are policing dress codes. Um, wow. Um, so there's lots of things. <laughs> there's so much of what you just said that I want to touch on. Um, Good. Yes, that uh, part of the challenge is that the, the first of all, the dress codes in themselves tend to be, um, I think some schools try to be neutral, but often the language is quite gendered. Um, some schools try to be really specific, um, and then other ones are really vague, right? They'll say you have to dress decently, which then contributes to exactly the experience you're talking about where, well, who's defining what it is to be decent? And we know that, you know, um, expectations around dress are, are linked to culture, they're linked to class, um, they're linked to fashion, they're linked to age, and so um, who is defining what is considered to be decent? And then what happens also is that they're, um, they're not consistently, tend to not be consistently enforced. So we yes. know that sometimes um, like bigger girls, for example, are more likely to be dress coded for the same kind of outfit as, um, uh, now I mean bigger in terms of, you know, particularly maybe more plump, but also, you know, somebody who's more developed in terms of their breasts. Right. Example. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Right. And also we know that sometimes girls who are already sort of maybe a bit more on the margins are sometimes more likely to be dress coded. So um, in the focus groups I did, for instance, I had some talk about how, you know, like the, t the cheerleaders don't seem to get dress coded, but the goth girls did. And, and so we know that there's inconsistencies. Um, and teachers also talked about these challenges, right? That, you know, if you're teaching in third period, you know that this student has already gone through two periods without anybody saying anything. You know, does that mean you should say something or you shouldn't? And I had some teachers say that they were really uncomfortable speaking up or they didn't care, whereas other ones are really um, very particular about the dress code. And so these inconsistencies, you know, students pick up on them. Um, and so, and so, yeah, so I can just imagine this situation, right? Well, and, and this is so similar to some girls' experiences, right? Where, you know, you're 14 or 15, you, you know, get a, a top or something that you really like that uh, you've seen other girls wear, you know, you wear it to school, 
for whatever reason, you're the one who's singled out, um, you're made to feel shame and embarrassment, you're told that you're a distraction to boys, um, which is another whole problematic thing. It's a whole other level, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a really, really hard experience for these for these young people who are, you know, like their bodies are changing, they're, they're trying to become comfortable with their bodies. Um, you know, it's really this tricky line that they have to navigate between, um, you know, wanting to be sort of, well, wanting to be cute and be fashionable and at the same time not to, you know, um, get this, this kind of negative attention from the authorities. As you know, I'm an attorney in New York City, and in that capacity, I, I don't practice um, law in this area at all, but in that capacity, I've been reached out just by a few people have, you know, emailed me and, and described, you know, the practice of what goes on for their child. And what I find so striking is, you know, to me, there really cannot be meaningful, lasting, um, positive change unless there's what we call collaboration with with children and students. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Ross Green. He wrote uh, many books on collaboration with with children and um, one that's I love is called The Explosive Child. And basically, you know, he he posits that there can be no reward and punishments that doesn't actually ever have meaningful long-term effect. And really, in order for a child to do what you, quote, want him to do, he needs to buy into that. And I think that um, he writes this in connection with, with the explosive child, the difficult child, but really it applies, I think, across the board to people and not even just to children. If you want in the workforce to get something from your employees you need to treat them in a certain way and have them collaborate and buy into what you want. I think that's just generally true of people. You're always going to get more of them if you do that. Um, so I think that this culture of shaming, and which is a punishment, right? Like to be shamed is to be punished, really is not the way to go. And maybe, I mean, we'll discuss whether there should be a dress code or not in a moment, but maybe there needs to be a way to get the students to buy in before we resort to these horrific tactics. What are your thoughts? Sure. I mean, we could talk a lot about how we make how we make this particular set of school rules and even other school rules. Um, should young people have a say? Um, I'm not familiar with his work, but I'm certainly very familiar with lots of work in like the sociology of childhood and youth that emphasizes the importance of young people's participation and decision making about their lives. Um, and the, the value of, um, of having them be participants certainly in these kinds of conversations. So that can include, you know, conversations about like media literacy, it can include, and it can include conversations about what kinds of rules should be in place in a school. Um, and so if, so, you know, we can have a set of very top down rules that are created by a school that students are just expected to follow, which is, seems to be the most dominant pattern. You could have another category where you have, um, uh, a participation of young people in negotiating and talking about the rules of the school. And then we can, and then the sort of other category is saying, maybe we shouldn't have, um, maybe we shouldn't have these kinds of dress codes at all. And what do you, what do you think, like based on your research? Um, I've, <laughs> I've had various opinions about this over time. I would um, imagine it changes. <laughs> I, I find it, um, I certainly find it problematic to have rigid, top-down, narrow rules. And um, 
for a while I thought it was more problematic to say, you know, you can't wear this kind of top and you can't wear that kind of top. Um, but at least that's very specific because when you have the rule that just says you must dress decently, it, it leaves so much room for, for discrimination. And we know that this discrimination also happens not just in terms of gender and class, but also around race. Um, so then enlisting, you know, so, so having a, a sort of really clear cut set of rules seems better, even though it, it, it can often be really problematically gendered, which I'd say needs to be highly resisted. Um, and then, so then, then the next step of having young people's participation, I think, is a really phenomenal um, approach. However, it really has to be genuine. I, often that kind of participatory approach is, is pretty fake, right? It's sort of like, you know, here's a list of rules, check off the ones that you want. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, here's what I want you to agree to sign here and that somehow that's considered participatory, which it's not. No way. Agreed. Um, but the problem is as soon as you create the dress codes, then you have then you have to police them right and so all of those difficulties that i talked about at the beginning about policing dress codes including in um inconsistency inconsistency also between boys and girls in terms of what's policed and then also inconsistency between girls and the issue of shaming um that that those concerns have increasingly made me wonder like do we really need dress codes at all Right. I, you know, I actually agree with you just um, from a mother perspective. I think that, you know, teenage years, they're such hard years, right? Girls are so vulnerable. There's so much going on for them in school, out of school. They're fighting now more than ever. Social media is something that is so overwhelming for them. And there's alcohol and drugs in every single area of this country, right? In every single school. Maybe the dress code just needs to be let go. And maybe the administrators need to kind of see their role differently instead of to police these girls, to really bring them in and to become mentors for them and to befriend them so that maybe if they don't have a listening ear at home or a best friend, they can find a teacher that they feel comfortable with. But if all of the teachers become vehicles for possible shaming, how can that ever happen? Yeah, I, 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 um, I agree that a sort of more positive relations are, are really important um, in that school situation. And you know, what's really interesting is that a lot of the um, students that I've talked to about this, they have said, in the school rule research I did, for instance, right? They, they've said, we want to see, we want to see rules around violence and we want to see rules around drugs and we want to see rules around sexual harassment and we want to see those enforced. And so frequently they would say rules around sexual harassment are not enforced, whereas dress codes are enforced and that that's part of the problem. So then the onus is put on the girl um, as opposed to the onus being put on the person who's doing the harassing. Um, so it's, 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 and that I, I would say is, it, it touches on what you're talking about because what it points to is um, that these students are wanting, they want adult involvement, right? They want adult guidance, um, but they want it to be done in a way that feels just. And that feels positive. Yeah, and, and positive and, and not, building relationships right. and listening to their views and understanding their position, um, all of those things. Right. And, you know, so many people, I, I include boys in this, you know, will say, you know, high school was the worst time of my life. Um, I never would go back there for anything. Right. And 
if you are a child who's, you know, experiencing any kind of difficulty in high school, and then you're made to feel ashamed over, you know, what you're wearing, I mean, that can really put you over the edge, I think, for years to come. <laughs> yes, I mean, there's lots of people with lots of trauma from high school for all sorts of reasons. Absolutely. And this is one of them. And I mean, we know that um, dress is really tricky for girls um, in ways beyond the school, right? It's tricky in terms yes. of um, peer relations, um, their parental expectations, their community expectations. Um, and so what's going on in the school is sort of just one dimension of this, but it's one that's really um, public. Um, and, and it's one where, you know, that they're already dealing with these really difficult sort of challenges with peer relations and peer regulation of each other's dress and to sort of layer um, the weight of the school on them on top of that is really, really hard. And I'm thinking specifically, I mean, these, these cases that you hear about, right, where it's not just, you know, that a, a teacher, you know, says something, but, you know, a, a girl will be pulled out of the classroom, she'll go to the principal, she'll be forced to wear some, like, gigantic... Some other uh, article of clothing, right? right? <laughs> something that's right? going to go, like... It's like the walk of shame, like suddenly she's wearing somebody else's ugly outfit. She feels even more shamed. Yeah. You know, and and I've had and I've had participants in my focus group say, you know, these kinds of of things are happening while outside, you know, the guys are playing some kind of sport and it's like shirt versus skins. So so it's like, how does this go together? And they're very attentive to these kinds of hypocrisy. So I'm wondering, I've heard from a number of girls, you know, just because um, my daughter and maybe some of her friends said, you know, this also feels to them like a power trip on part of the administrators, that they somehow are getting a sense of power. And I wonder about that because, you know, we all want to believe that all teachers and all administrators are just lovely people and they're doing great work. And I'm going to say that 90% of them are, and that is true and enormous respect of that for them. But what about the few of them that aren't and that this somehow makes them feel powerful in an otherwise day where they're not? And that is really problematic as well for these girls. Well, I think we could talk about that for for lots of different school rules besides dress codes. Um, and, and yeah, sure, I th- there there's there's some there's some power that can come with being a teacher and enforcing rules. Um, but also from the teachers' sort of side of things, I know that some of them are really they really struggle with this stuff as well, right? that they're told by their administration that they're supposed to uphold certain dress code rules, whether they agree with them or not. Um, I think for some of them, um, well, I know I had some teachers talk to me about feeling um, really uncomfortable (laughs) dress coding a student because when you do that, right, what you're saying is what you're wearing is too sexual. And for a teacher to say that to a student um, can be really fraught, right? Um, so, so some teachers are really uncomfortable in that way as well. Um, but I did, and this is such an, I just, I have to tell you this wee story that this one administrator that I interviewed said to me, um, about school rules in general, but it was so telling. He said, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the rule is. It could be all students have to wear gray socks. But the point is that the student must know that when they come into the school, that we're the ones who are in charge and they're the ones who have to follow that rule. So 
that I thought was very interesting insight into certainly for some people, um, their sort of conceptualization of the school is as a space that's sort of about, you know, disciplining, disciplining students and that the student is supposed to leave a certain aspect of their of themselves outside the door of the school as they're being sort of prepared in the school for a certain kind of obedience that I think can sometimes be represented through certain kinds of dress codes. Yeah, and you know, honestly, listening to that story, like I'm actually very troubled as a parent because what I try to teach all of my children is um, to question things. Um, as long as you do so respectfully, you should have a voice. You should not just mm -hmm. take orders unless you understand. And so for teachers and administrators to feel like they have some sort of authority and carte blanche to just um, give out um, orders without allowing for questions, I, I find that really troubling to, as, as a parent bringing up a child because that's not the kind of child that I want to bring into this world. Uh, I mean, here we're getting into questions about how do we conceptualize childhood, right? One of my <laughs> topics right. of great interest, right? If you think that a child is somebody who, um, you know, that they're 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 in the process of becoming an adult, and and as part of that process, that the adult is responsible for shaping them, and governing them, and disciplining them in order to make them into a certain kind of adult, then that model of discipline that I was just talking about works. But if you're somebody who sounds more like your perspective, certainly that, um, that part of that process of growing up is that you're still a being in the present, right? With views and interests and sensitivities and that, um, that the young person shapes the world just as the world shapes the young person. And that also we wanna prepare our young people to be um, critical thinkers in the present but also into the future and that that really is a very different kind of way of thinking about um, a young person in relationship to rules. But even if you are thinking of, of the former and if that's the model, um, for instance, that, that you either as a parent or as a school want to adopt, if that's the case, well then you know what, you better be really careful about who you put in charge of these children. Right? <laughs> because yeah, totally, it's premised on the idea of adults, you know, having children's best interests always at heart. Um, and we know that unfortunately, that's not always the case. So, you know, you want to be able to know that your young person can be able to speak up in the face of abuse, for example, um, if they've learned that they have to be obedient all the time they're unable to do that. Right, you've silenced them in, in so many other ways. I just think it's also, I, I keep coming back to the point that there's so much else going on in the teenage years. Like, wouldn't we better, you said this as well, you know, that, that girls are saying, like, talk to me about things that matter, that are really mm -hmm. important. That, you know, the sexual harassment, the alcohol, the drugs that's rampant. Talk to me about those things, because that's where we really need help. And maybe this is something we don't really, we don't really need you to get into with us. Now, I'm curious, what about the impact of the dress code on girls, but when girls are dress coded, how does that impact the boys? Right, well, we know that there's been some really interesting cases of boys participating in, in protests around yes. dress codes, um, including, you know, all of them turning up in kilts and things like that, right? There've been some really innovative and interesting ways that boys have stepped up. Um, but certainly the more sort of troubling side is when, um, and this certainly happens, that, that dress codes are framed as being about ensuring that girls don't distract boys 
um, with their sexiness or whatever. And so it frames boys as sort of, um, or at least the critique of that is, of course, it frames boys as um, sort of unable to control themselves. Um, they're all straight in this kind of framing. Um, and that they, they sort of, that somehow um, that the, the girls are responsible for their distraction. And, and that's been really problematized. Yeah, no, I, th- I think, you know, I, I also have a son. So from that perspective, I find it really troubling. And, and I, I think that in the, in the school setting, um, my daughter has said that, you know, there have been boys who she's heard say, um, oh, yeah, this is really good for you, you guys. Like, you, you girls need to, like, know how to dress appropriately in this mm-hmm. school. And I thought, wow, like for a 14, 15 year old boy to say that to a girl, it's that's really means that that this is permeating their psyche in a way that it should not. It's very disrespectful. When I was looking at actual, you know, school, the the actual school rules that are written, um, often dress codes are listed, at least here in Ontario. we have like it's often like you know there's sort of respect others respect yourself you know respect authority and you know we can unpack all of those but the um dress codes are frequently put under respect yourself uh, which is very very interesting right because it somehow implies that if you wear something like wear something that somehow um that somebody else deems in, inappropriate, yes, right? Not exactly. even that you deem inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that somehow then you are not respecting yourself. And that somehow then you're asking for the harassment that you may get. Um, and that harassment only comes if you dress inappropriately, which is also a problematic assumption because we know that's not true. Um, it's so fraught, right, for sort of implying that that somehow if you break that dress code that you don't respect yourself. Um, it's it's just so a kind of a twisted way of turning it back onto the yes. person. Well, it's it's right. kind of it, it's very akin to you know being raped and saying, well, you asked for it. Certainly, That's- yeah, certainly people have been making that linkage, right, and problematizing it based on that. Yes. And, you know, I believe in the in the Me Too movement. You know, I have seen and I'm sure you have lots of legal cases and the school seems to be losing them overwhelmingly because I don't think that this is acceptable anymore to, to speak to girls about how they're, they look or how they're dressing. So I think that like, this presents a whole other problem for schools legally. Do they really want to go down this route? Yeah, I, I can't really speak to to the legal side. That's your. It sounds like your area of expertise a lot more than mine. Right, but it is something you're aware of. That that schools can be challenged for not being seen to properly protect their students. I think an argument. This is the thing, though. An argument could be made in either direction. Right. It could be argued that they're not sufficiently protecting their students if they do not have a dress code. That argument could be made. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because that brings me back to the point where there's a dress code, but then there's enforcement. And enforcement can never be inappropriately done or in a a way to shame anybody. That's across the board. I think everybody can agree on that, right? So the dress code is another issue, but how we go about making sure that it is properly enforced, 
that really that's much more black and white I think maybe I'd be curious though how do you enforce a dress code without any without the possibility of shaming well I can think of ways right like in you can call somebody over um, after school when friends are not around in a nice way you can find a teacher that perhaps is close with that student as opposed to somebody who is a quote scary figure to the teacher maybe you know the principal who she's terrified of or what have you um, you can send a nice email right it's all about the tone that makes the music right how are we saying it and there are ways now I, I don't know that dress codes need, as, as you may, you know, said originally, you're not sure dress codes should be there, period. But assuming they are for a minute, for me, it really is about the enforcement. And, and I do believe there is always a positive, nicer way to say things. And it's when you get harsh and when you tell a teenage girl who, who really is a child still, right? When, when you say to them, you know, change this, don't talk back to me, just go and do it now you've done something damaging to that person. Mm -hmm. But you can say the very same thing in a different tone, in a different way, in a different setting that would be less damaging. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm, not sure that I, I'm not sure that I completely agree with you on that in the sense that I think that, I, I, I certainly agree that you can be more positive in a statement than harsh and top-down and negative. But I also think that being pulled aside by a teacher who I trusted and thought was kind who really you know gently tells me that my shirt is is really way too revealing I think that I would still experience that I think that would be a really hard thing still to experience yeah you know I, I agree with you Rebecca actually as you tell it in that way and as I'm picturing it I actually agree with you so maybe we're back to the idea is that dress codes really need to just be let go, <laughs> which uh, I'm all for that because I just, I think there's too much else going on um, for girls that this really not, does not need to be a forefront. And it doesn't need to be a topic of such conversation. Um, when girls are getting so upset by it, you just need to reevaluate your policy. Um, so I really, I thank you so much for coming on because I really think this is something that needs to be discussed until it's it's done away with because I'm not I'm not sure there's a place mm -hmm. for it in the society that we live any longer so I appreciate your thoughtfulness I I love to have healthy debate and I'm I'm really happy that we were able to to talk about this awesome. thank you for well, thank coming you on. so much for having me it's been really fun yes okay thank you bye for now okay bye <laughs>